This show is sponsored by Small Portions Cafe, the book by Douglas Fergus. Doug is a very close friend of mine, and he sent it all the way from the States so I could have my own personal signed copy. And I got to tell you, it's one of the most uniquely entertaining, silly, funny, interesting compilation of short stories I've ever read. Check out Small Portions Cafe. It's available both as a Kindle and a softcover book. Small Portions Cafe on Amazon. I am Citizen 44. You are listening to Citizen 44 with Mark Ahrensberg, live from Ho Chi Minh City, Vietnam. Stop laughing cause she can't start crying And she can't start crying cause she takes a breath She can't stop dancing cause she can't sit still And she can't sit still cause it scares her to death I don't care how long it takes until she gets it all together She's just fine just the way she is And I wanna be friends forever We get the table right by the window People look at her, then they look at me Smile and tell her again that she's beautiful And I think it's something she is starting to believe I don't care how long it takes until she gets it all together I like her just fine, just the way she is And I want to be friends forever Hey everybody, Mark Ahrensberg here. Welcome to Citizen 44. This is show number 98. My guest today is Michael Tatarski. Michael is a freelance journalist here in Ho Chi Minh City, Saigon. He's been here for about 10 years, came when he was 23. He only planned on leaving for a year, but He's been here ever since, and uh, he is on the pulse of what's going on right here in Saigon. Speaking of, I've now been indoors, essentially, for the most part, I guess for a couple of months now. Working from home, the social distancing measures have not lightened up, and although we were supposed to have some kind of a lessening of these measures, we were supposed to get out of our homes on the 16th of September. It is now the 25th of September here in Vietnam, and we are still in major lockdown mode. It's been pushed out week after week after week. I think there's just a little bit of uncertainty by those in charge of what to do because the rate of illness increased so quickly and, uh, I think that is stabilized a little bit now, you know, not unlike other places in the world. We have different zones, yellow, red, orange, and green. There's only a couple of green zones here in Saigon. I think in uh, Kuchi is the name of the district. 
and District 7, which is a more affluent area here in Saigon, they are both in the green, but the rest of Saigon is in orange, yellow, and red. So I don't even know. I think we're in yellow here, but I don't know. I just registered today to get my second vaccination, so I should get that notification soon on finishing that up. But now they've pushed going back to getting a couple days a week where we can go to a local grocery store or pharmacy to get essentials. But I took a walk the day before yesterday. I needed some cash. And then the ATM at SACOM Bank that I typically use was out of order. So I took that opportunity to take a seven or eight mile round trip to Citibank where it was guaranteed that I'd be able to get some cash. And it felt really good to be out and about Not too many people out walking around, some what they call essential workers out and delivery drivers for the most part, a lot of street blockages. That's what's going on here. Still working from home, doing the Pure Now podcast from here too. And that's good. I have no complaints. I have a a little 10 by 12 foot room. I have a little balcony. I have a private bath. I have a washer and dryer right outside my door. We live in kind of a alleyway street. We, meaning Harry and I, living above Luna Sushi. We can go downstairs now and have coffee. So again, some pleasantries, basically living a privileged life. I'd rather be here right now in my little 10 by 12 foot room where I'm happy to be amongst these peaceful people. No gun-toting maniacs. Everybody's pretty calm and reserved. You know, there's some connection here between lack of education and a reliance on the first brain, the heart, the instinct. I feel good here. A sad day last week. Very funny comedian, Norm MacDonald died after concealing a uh, deadly illness for almost a decade from almost everyone he knew, except the closest of people in his life. But uh, I was a big fan of Norm, and uh, he really was an enigma, unusual character, very humble, very knowledgeable, a real intellectual, claimed to know nothing, a spiritual guy, fearless, maybe the most fearless comedian of all time, and uh, he will be missed by everyone who knew and appreciated what he brought to the table He was very interested in Russian literature, read a lot of Tolstoy and Dostoevsky and a well-read man. And uh, he wrote, he called it a memoir, but it's not. It's a novel. I just sent it to my son along with a Norm MacDonald t-shirt. He loved bombing as much as he loved killing. He did a Bob Saget roast. And just the way he looked at Bob Saget during this really unusual delivery of what would be considered old school dad jokes, dumb jokes, but non-threatening jokes. Like, uh, you know, Bob Saget always had a lot on his mind in the form of a hat. Simple stuff. He was afraid of absolutely nothing except death, maybe. He was fearful of death. And maybe that's why he concealed his poor health. I'm thankful for all the years on Saturday Night Live and The Norm Show, his appearances on Conan. Dave Letterman adored him. He did a really great podcast with Mark Marin. He also did a podcast, a very revealing podcast. I don't remember the name of the gentleman, but a guy in Canada. Norm was Canadian, so that made him even a little more unique. He had a unique vocabulary, 
very strange sentence structure and use of words and terms. Very unique guy, really. The most unique stand-up comedian of all time, for sure. We also say goodbye to a television icon, Ed Asner. He also passed away about two weeks ago. I was a huge Mary Tyler Moore show fan. I think that was maybe one of the top 10 greatest sitcoms ever made. There would be no Seinfeld, in my opinion, without the Mary Tyler Moore show. Signature scene between Ed and Mary. I think it was maybe the first episode where Ed says to Mary, you've got spunk. I hate spunk. He was acting until practically the day he died. He even did a great episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm that I recall fondly. Yeah, goodbye to Ed Asner. Also on the show is Dong. Dong works with me here at Balance. He's a freelance director. We've worked on several projects together. Very talented guy. About a week and a half ago, he told me he was experiencing some what he called seasonal mild flu symptoms. And as soon as he said that, I said, hey, man, you know, you might have COVID. And he never really entertained the idea, but he was tested within a few days of our conversation and he tested positive for COVID. And he allowed me to call him while he was at a quarantine facility. So uh, here's Dong. Hey, Dong. Hey, man. How you doing, man? Uh, I'm doing all right, yeah. You're in a uh, quarantine area now? Yeah, yeah, I'm in a quarantine facility. Where is the facility located? It's located in District 2, in uh, Tunduk City. Okay. Yeah, so like compared to D1, I think it's about uh, 15 to 20 minutes bike ride. Yeah. So it's not too far away. Yeah. yeah. Where in District 2 are you? Are you near Tao Dien or an, a different area? I am below Tao Dien, in the south of Tao Dien. Okay, I know where that is. What is the facility? What is the place that you're staying in? The place is actually a part of government housing development plan. Okay. It's an apartment. It's part of a household modernizing plan. So it's supposed to reallocate citizens from like a older housing structure that tends to be dangerous. Uh, I think during the process, when they were doing the transferring, then the COVID came in. So the government, they decided to temporarily shift the purpose of this apartment into COVID quarantine facility. How much housing is there? How many units are there? I never tried to find out a solid number, but I think it's a thousand. Okay. Is the facility pretty full? Uh, actually, not quite. Uh, like, like just this morning, I came out to grab some of the supplies. I still see a few housing units that it's not occupied. I hope that is a good sign. <laughs> yeah, let's go back to that. So you contracted COVID. Yeah. Almost a week ago now, we were talking on the phone. You told me you felt that you had a seasonal flu. You told me what your mm. symptoms were. I actually mentioned at the time... You know, maybe you have COVID. It's, yeah. It didn't seem to be on your radar as a possibility. How did you make the determination that you actually did have COVID? About four or five days in since I started having the mild fever. On the fourth or the fifth day, the neighborhood administration came by and uh, did a test on the neighborhood, including me. So they came to the conclusion that I contracted COVID. How do you think that you got it? 
you're stuck inside like everybody else, but obviously you got exposed to the virus through somebody or something. Do you have any clue to how you contracted it? Right now, I have no clue, actually. Interesting. Okay. The only possible way I may have contracted is there's a house diagonally opposite my house in construction. So it's not even finished yet. It's like all the concrete and bricks and all laying everywhere. There were one or two construction workers stay inside that building. And uh, they contracted COVID before I had about two weeks. That might be the only reason. Uh. Interesting. You didn't make contact with these people, yeah. right? Yeah, not at all. Not at all. Huh. Well, it's a magical virus. Yeah. I mean, somehow, you know, it must have knocked on your door and you didn't know who it was and you let it in. You haven't been going out, right? You pretty much stayed in your house? Yeah, I stayed inside house for like at least a, a quarter of a year. Yeah, the time is flying by. It's ridiculous now. I don't even know what to say. I mean, I'm not complaining about it because I certainly am not suffering from it, but it is pretty outrageous. Yeah. Take me through the process. You get the test. Did they come to your door and let you know that you tested positive? The moment when I got COVID, any communication after that is all through phone calls. Because they, uh, they try to limit all the contacting, touching, you know. So they'll provide me information over phone calls. So they tell me to come and pick me up. Uh, where will I arrive? Uh, at what time I should be ready, so on and so on. And how much time did you have to prepare to leave? I was supposed to get ready within like three hours before the bus come. But as the time came and there was no vehicle came to pick me up, and when I asked, it turns out the vehicle comes in, they come by shift. So, I mean, they have some timing schedule to come and pick up patients of the day. And for me on the day, because my announcement come uh, after the patient pickup time, so I, I left the following day in the morning. And what were you instructed to do? What did you take with you? There wasn't really any notice on what to bring. It's more uh, bring enough stuff for a week. So what has been your experience thus far? In short, this trip is almost like a, a holiday travel trip, except it's a lot more mundane. Yeah. But they're feeding you three meals a day, and uh, you've got some passable Wi-Fi. I know you've been having some Wi-Fi challenges, but other than that, I mean, you're taking some kind of daily medication, and, uh, and yeah. you're, you're basically healthy because you're a healthy person to begin with. Yeah. You're pretty much just waiting it out, right? Yeah. There's not a lot of things to do. Some exercise, eating, drink water, take pills, uh, waiting it out. How's the food? Food is adequate. But you're not eating Kentucky Fried <laughs> Chicken or McDonald's, right? Actually, I would rather not. <laughs> yeah. So you're having typical noodle and rice dishes with vegetables and a little meat? Yeah, that's pretty much it. Yep. And you're eating three times a day, and then you're taking this medication. And is the medication to boost your immune system? Yeah, it is to boost the immune system and to cure some common symptoms like a sore throat, a runny nose, fever, if there is any. Yeah. But you also lost your sense of smell and taste, correct? Uh, I would say it's reduced sense of taste and smell because I can still taste, but it's, uh, it's like only 50 or 40 percent. So essentially, you had a really mild case because you're a young, healthy guy. And the whole reason for this is because you were unable to get vaccinated. Yes. Yeah, it was quite troublesome for me to get the vaccination for some reason, yeah. What is the protocol once you're done with your week at the facility? 
So as far as I know, as soon as I'm tested uh, negative from COVID and discharge, I think I'll be told to stay home for another two weeks just to be sure. And technically, if I grow my antibodies naturally, I think I, I don't need any vaccination within at least like, three or six months. You know, it's almost better that you got it and that you will naturally build this immunity because I got the vaccination and I was probably mm. way sicker than you ever got from COVID for only 24 mm. hours. But you're doing it the natural way. And aside from, mm. you know, getting these mild flu symptoms, how have you been feeling emotionally while you've been there? How's it going for you? Yeah, I think emotionally, like mentally, it's uh, it's a bit more of a, a trip because uh, there's a lot of uncertainty when I first got the notice of positivity because we, we really don't know what's going to happen in the next few weeks. Like, I don't know whether my body's going to be able to fight the COVID enough. Yeah, all sorts of uh, uncertainties and create some slight depression, anxieties and all. Yeah, but um, the feeling isn't final, so... As time goes by, some situation changes, the body got to react. Uh, in a way, uh, things get better. Yeah, but the first few days is very, very stressful. Yeah, I cannot imagine. But it's good that you've had this experience. And the reason we're talking is I want other people to know that now on the other side of it, for the most part, you feel pretty good. And uh, I would imagine you're ready to go home anytime they're ready to let you go. Yeah. Right now, I'm very looking forward for the day I'm tested negative so I can pack up and go back. Yeah. When will they test you? It comes up negative and they go, okay, you're free to go. So I think in most cases, which I think what's going to happen to me as well, is uh, after I take the medication for five days, then they will do a test. So like for me right now, I've taken four days and a half. So it all goes according to plan. Maybe this Sunday, this weekend, I'll get tested and uh, I'll see what's happening. Yeah, because that'll be a week. You came in last Sunday. Yeah. I'm glad you're okay. Yeah. And, and, you know, we've been speaking on and off because we work together and there's still projects going on between us. And you haven't dropped the ball at all. Everything is still smooth sailing and everything's working out other than your occasional Wi-Fi interruption. But we've actually managed to get through this conversation. And I really appreciate your willingness to share your experience, Dong, and that uh, you feel okay and that there is a very good chance that you're going to get out of there pretty quickly now. Yes. All right. Well, I look forward to talking to you next week back at your home and you being uh, through this entire experience successfully. Sure. Yeah. Looking forward to talk to you again in a better scenario yeah yeah yeah, yeah. all right dong we'll take care have a good weekend and I'll, I'll be continuing to check in with you sure thanks Mark. Hey, Mike. Thanks so much for being on the Citizen 44 podcast. How you doing, man? Good, Mark. Thanks for having me. Doing what I can during lockdown. Yeah, we're both in the same soup. And I would imagine as a freelance journalist, you're up to your eyeballs in things you can write about. <laughs> yes and no, in a way. I mean, there's obviously there's a lot of info out there, but it's also 
I mean, not just this week, but the past couple of months has been tough that I can't go out and actually see anything with my own eyes, really, or very limited, at least, to my own neighborhood. Even if I wouldn't be going to report on something, just to go see what's going on out there, not being able to do that is a little tricky. And how have you compensated for that? Because you still want to do what you do and report what's happening. The restrictions certainly tamper that and do not give you the latitude to reach people directly. What has been your new protocol for getting to the story? Uh, I mean, relying a lot on local media, which given the system here is they're not reporting everything, but they are reporting a lot of really useful stuff. So relying on that a lot, especially the Vietnamese language sites and using Google Translate through my Chrome browser because I can't read Vietnamese. There's a lot more info on the Vietnamese sites that doesn't get translated into their English versions. And then spending a lot of time on social media. I mean, unfortunately at times, because that's kind of a messy atmosphere, but is good for kind of getting a sense of what's going on at the street level, I suppose. Uh, and then, you know, talking with my friends and colleagues in other parts of the city, see what's going on there. So yeah, it's just all all online. Um, that's really all you can do right now. Yeah. And how are you managing being cooped up as we all are for at least another two weeks? We've been able to navigate this not so horribly. Previously, we went from having relative freedom to walk about the city and conduct business as usual, and then it got cut down to a curfew from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m., and then went to only being able to go out for essentials, groceries, and medicine, and then that got reduced to where we are now. Yeah. Uh... I mean, it's tough, of course. I mean, I, I do try to keep things in perspective as much as possible that I'm, I mean, I'm very fortunate. Uh, me and my partner live in a house with multiple floors. I'm really into cycling and I, I have an indoor bike trainer. I mean, it's not the same as being outside, but able to exercise. We don't have issues with food supply. So very lucky in all of those senses, but of course it's been tough, you know, mentally, especially because I, I enjoy just being able to walk around the block or something like that. We have dogs as well. Haven't been able to take them for a walk for multiple weeks now. I'm sure you're experiencing it does take a toll just being cooped up inside all the time, you know, not really getting any sun or any of that sort of stuff. So physically I'm doing all right, but uh, it of course takes a toll mentally and you, you can only keep things in perspective for so long on a daily basis. What have your assignments been lately? I know that you have written articles for several well-known publications. You've been doing this for quite a while. How has this situation either inspired or taken away a lot of motivation? Yeah, from talking to a lot of my friends here, everyone kind of is that it's hard to motivate. I mean, in terms of assignments, it's interesting for as bad as things here seem to us, I mean, kind of in a global context, a lot of countries are still in much worse condition. And kind of as a result, there's actually not a whole lot of interest in Vietnam or even awareness of what's happening here. Of course, there's a lot of global news competition, you know, especially with what's happening in Afghanistan. So I haven't really done anything on COVID recently, but I've had a few assignments on other topics, which is fine. Is you know, it's nice to do something that's not related to to the virus, but I don't see much of a light at the end of the tunnel right now, especially kind of given the events of this past weekend with the kind of citywide panic buying and there was huge crowds in places. And I, I mean, I hope I'm wrong, but I think that's that's certainly going to drive some sort of huge increase in cases and. We don't know what the response will be to that. You know, in the U.S., obviously, my, my friends and family there weren't able to do much of anything for basically all of 2020, but they could still, if they wanted to, get in their car and go to a park or you could kind of do stuff outside. And I think that's really the hardest part right now is 
you can't do anything. And I do think that's gonna have a big impact on a lot of people's physical health, mental health. I would have to think some kind of ugly social issues are gonna be exacerbated. Haven't seen anything about this, but I would have to think like domestic abuse is gonna be a huge problem with people cooped up in their houses and apartments for weeks and weeks at a time. So yeah, it's, it is, it's tough. And also my friends and family in the States, of course there's issues there again, but people are going to movies and going to restaurants and stuff like that. And people don't quite grasp the US as bad as it was there, never went through anything like this in terms of movement restrictions. Even yesterday, my mom was like, so what's it like outside? And I was like, well, I have no idea. And she was like, well, what, is it too scary to go out? And I was like, we literally can't go outside. So all I can do is look online at what the streets look like. Yeah, so everyone here I know is kind of in the same headspace of not feeling very good about things. And then people elsewhere just uh, don't quite grasp uh, quite how, how limited it is right now. How long have you been here in Vietnam now? Uh, over 10 years in total. What was your reason for leaving the States? Well, I studied political science and history in college, so I had a lot of interest in foreign affairs and current events, you know, global current events. I actually applied for the State Department's foreign service, but that didn't go very far. So then kind of was just like, I know I want to live abroad. What's the easiest way to do that? Basically, as a 23-year-old and teaching English came up, as it does for so many people. And um, I found a program, a teacher training program where Vietnam was an option, and I knew very little about the country. I mean, I'd seen Apocalypse Now and, you know, the classic war era movies, but had also watched a lot of Anthony Bourdain's shows, which I think it was still, um, there was still no reservations at the time on Travel Channel. And I uh, was a big fan of his and he had several episodes in Vietnam and really, really liked it. I mean, he was a big influence on my decision, a huge influence actually on my decision to come here. I'd only had Vietnamese food once in Toronto before I came here. So he played a large role in my decision to move here and I was gonna come for a year and that was in fall of 2010. So that obviously lasted a lot longer than a year and within about a year and a half, I'd gotten into writing and then stopped teaching from then on and um, have progressed into reporting and journalism from there. I was just reading your Vietnam Weekly and aside from the memories of Katrina, which it seems like natural catastrophe and things of that nature are just becoming more prominent in our lives as human beings. Yeah. And it's just going to get progressively worse. I don't see that this is something that's going to stabilize in our lives just based on our participation or not. Regardless, it's just going to get more complicated for us. Yeah. Hard not to agree with that, unfortunately. from New Orleans and the 29th was the anniversary of Katrina. Yeah. I can't even imagine you guys had to flee, right? Yeah, back in 2009. Boy, it's been a while. Uh, yeah, yeah, we evacuated to Mississippi um, a few days in advance. We're privileged enough to have that option. So went to stay with some friends there and ended up not moving back into our house for a year, year and a half, because it was in one of the heavily flooded neighborhoods. So that, that took a long time. And this is just the tip of the iceberg melting. I have an interesting and odd connection to Katrina. I was living in Ashland, Oregon at the time, shortly thereafter, and uh, I went to go buy a bicycle from a used bicycle shop in town. 
and I saw this really cool yellow beach cruiser. It was a little beat up, but it was a Schwinn and it looked great. And I was told that this bike was rescued. It was pulled out of the water from Katrina. Hmm. So I had a little piece of that experience that I rode for at least two summers. Interesting. I mean, what are the chances? I'm in Oregon. Yeah. <laughs> and this bicycle would make it all the way to Oregon somehow, and it would end up in my possession. Yeah. And it was a fantastic bicycle. I probably got more exercise with that machine than anything I've ever owned in my life. But uh, it was very strange that that story was told to me upon purchasing it for like $120, which I thought was a cracking deal on such a beautiful piece of equipment. Yeah. But they cleaned it up and got it ready for resale. I mean, anybody could have bought that. Definitely. But it was me that ended up with that bicycle. So very strange, very strange indeed. Definitely. Well, it's good that it was rescued and found a good home at least. For sure. I was honored to actually ride it. I mentioned that story to several people upon finding this bike or this bike finding me either way. I mean, you know, life is so strange. Yeah. And what's even stranger, of course, is what's going on right here in Ho Chi Minh City, Saigon. We've had this enormous influx of disease in the city and in outlying provinces. Between April and now, we've had over 200,000 new cases of the Delta variant virus just in the city here alone. And then like half a million cases nationwide. Is that the case? Yeah, we're getting there. It's well over 400,000 at this point. Yeah. And I mean, up until this outbreak, you know, the number was uh, under 4,000 for the country. So yeah, uh, pretty enormous. And uh, yeah, it's very strange. We don't know. I mean, I, we were in this like military food delivery system. I'm not sure if you've you've tried to use that at all, but it seems like it's a real mixed bag across the city with a lot of stories of people having to wait, you know, days to get their food or ordering systems being overwhelmed and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, very strange times indeed. I'm a vegan for the most part, and I like to eat very clean. And prior to them closing every single store in the city, there was an organic grocery store. There were no lines there. Nobody was taking your temperature. They had an incredible selection of high quality food products. I'm willing to pay the extra money for some good, clean produce. And then one day before all the stores closed, the place was all taped up and I saw someone in there spraying. So someone must have been sick inside mm -hmm. and they had to shut down. I've had a mixed bag of luck with Grab. I just order fresh vegetables, kale, carrots, cabbage. I'm all about the C's. Well, kale's a K, of course, but <laughs> that's pretty much what I eat. And it's not easy. I have to try several times, but they had an opportunity to complain about service. And I did that, even though I couldn't read what I was doing. <laughs> and then shortly thereafter, I retried to order and I got my order. So I think I need to make a complaint and then hope that uh, I can get a food delivery because I'm getting pretty low on uh, vegetation here. Yeah, a lot of people are struggling. I mean, we have, what, until this coming Monday of this system, as far as we know, I guess, and then wait and see if it's extended. But I mean, even though cases remain high while well, they're going up again, I don't really see how they can do this beyond another week because it's not working. <laughs> well, I just mentioned on the show that I posted yesterday, you know, there are a lot of locations in the States where they have discovered ivermectin and they realize that this medication could bypass all vaccines and protect everybody. But because we don't care about each other, we're all struggling. There were doctors, well-respected physicians that went to the Senate floor a year ago 
and claimed that they had done many trials and not only was ivermectin preventative, but it cured the disease. There was a lawsuit about six months ago in the States. A woman was dying in a hospital. They could do nothing for her and they refused to give her ivermectin. They took the hospital to court and they won. And within a couple hours of her getting the ivermectin, she was fine. I will say the science I've seen on that is different, but uh, I, I mean, I, I believe there's still trials ongoing on terms of that, but I know there's issues with people taking quantities of men for livestock and things like that of it, which is a huge concern, but yeah, we'll have to see, I think what the studies say about that. Yeah, the whole thing's a mess. And because we do not cooperate with each other, we're really not willing to get together on facts. We're really only willing to get together on fiction. Yeah. And that's a very strange way to go about things. And I'm fairly certain that this is why, in my opinion, that we're at the end of the road here, this species. We're coming to the end of the road. It's undeniable. As the temperature heats up and the oceans rise, our land masses are going to be swallowed up just like Katrina, and there is literally nothing we can do about it. And we're not even trying all that hard to do the best we can until the worst comes. And the worst is coming. And I'm not a fatalist, and I'm not a pessimist. This is just facts. This is what's going on. And I hope that we can at least make the end of our ride a little better, but I, I don't foresee that happening. Yeah, I try not to be a fatalist either, but it's hard when you're looking at what's confronting us right in our faces. I mean, not like within my lifetime, well, I hope, but uh, yeah, it's going to get real bad. I have a couple of children and uh, I had my daughter on the show and she went off on a rant about rich people going to space and just the total lack of participation and support by those who have the means to put certain things into action that require a lot of contribution and we just don't have our priorities set. No. And that's all there is to it. We don't really give a shit about each other for the most part. I do think that's a different feeling here in Vietnam. I do think there is a, a community-based sense of responsibility. Yeah. I do think because it's more family-oriented and not an individual society that people rally. I was neutral on the vaccine and I got the vaccine, not so much for me, but because of everybody here. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't not do that. I mean, I have friends in the States, my ex-wife who refuses to get it. And now, right now, they're calling it the buzzsaw effect. In Oregon, where I lived, disease is ripping through and killing people. Yep. And uh, that's only going to get progressively worse. Yeah. So it's a cleansing of the herd. I do think that uh, a major portion of the planet is going to need to be wiped out to create the humility again necessary to appreciate the gift of opportunity that we have to be here. And we're just dinosaurs of a different sort that are going through this cataclysmic change. Yeah. And uh, there's nothing I can do other than stay positive and loving and be kind. Keep making my show. Keep talking to people and keep living until that's just not possible anymore. Yeah. I mean, really, what more can you do? I mean, we've seen in the States that hundreds of thousands can die and many people still don't believe it somehow. I don't understand the not believing science, <laughs> but that's the world we live in, unfortunately. Prior to the pandemic, Ho Chi Minh City was the fastest growing economy in the world. Yeah. And should we survive this, there's no reason that that can't happen again. Yeah. At this point, I think it's going to take a while, but it should get back to that. I mean, 
I don't have much hope for this outbreak. Some officials have already said that it could go into next year already. I certainly hope some restrictions loosen way before then, but yeah, it's definitely gonna take this part of Vietnam at least a while to kind of pick itself back up, but it will get there. Just remains to be seen how long that'll take. I think that's gonna be based on their ability to distribute vaccinations. Oh yeah, yeah. Everybody needs to be vaccinated. That's just the bottom line. I mean, whether you are an anti-vaxxer or not, you gotta get one just for the sake of yourself. Yeah. Which version of the vaccine did you have? AstraZeneca. How did you respond to it? So I'm very lucky. I have both shots. First one, I think about 12 hours after the fact, I got chills for maybe 10, 15 minutes. And then um, just didn't sleep very well. I had a headache, uh, kind of soreness. And then the next day, kind of just, I mean, I was tired and had a dull headache and then I was largely fine within about 48 hours and then second shot minimal uh, side effects I haven't had my second shot yet but I'm praying that it's minimal I was sicker than I've ever been in my life after the first one really okay yeah it was pretty intense yeah it varies so widely I have a few friends who had horrible I mean they're so glad they got it but had horrible experiences and then others who almost had nothing so depends on the person yeah of course you know we got our own little chemical thing going on here so yeah But I'm looking forward to getting the second one, and I'm hoping that the shock from the first one (laughs) informed my body of who's coming in. Yeah. And that when they come back, they're uh, a a little more welcomed. Right, right. It was really terrible. But I have no complaints. Whatever, man. I got sick for 24 hours. It's a small price to pay for the advantage that I have now of minimizing my risk and the risk of other people. Yeah. You got your dog, you got your partner, so you're not alone. No, no. I mean, yeah, all things considered, I'm very privileged. Yeah, I live with my partner. We have actually three dogs and a cat, uh, so it's a full house. I mean, yeah, we have indoor exercise routines and daily routines. Work keeps me busy, so I do my best to keep that in perspective as much as possible because I know how many people here are in truly existential situations um, financially or, you know, running out of food and that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to keep that perspective 24-7, and there are times where I'm like, well, this really sucks. (laughs) But overall, very lucky with what I have. Yeah, I feel exactly the same way. I could not be any more grateful that I am... An American who gets paid pretty good salary, Vietnam standard wise, mm-hmm. and that, uh, you know, other than me scrapping with grab to find food and not being able to leave because I'm a walker like you. I love walking the city. It's my favorite thing to do is just walk and take photographs. If I didn't have to work, that's what I would do every day in Saigon is I just walk around, drink coffee and take photographs and say sin chow to everybody who makes eye contact with me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's also the most aggressive form of exercise I was getting. Really kept me in pretty good shape. I'd walk from here to Bui Vien and back. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, it's easy and it's fun. And, uh, you know, you can take different routes I do miss that. I even miss being on the motorbike. I'm a motorbike guy. I love the motorbike culture here, and it's fun and free. And again, very limited rules here. Pretty much don't do anything really stupid, and you can have a really good time. Well, when it comes to traffic, yeah. (laughs) In Thailand, when I was there, they didn't ride up on the sidewalks here. (laughs) 
you know, if you want to, you know, shave off a little time and uh, distance, you could just jump on the sidewalk and uh, get ahead of the pack. So I've really enjoyed this unlimited freedom. It's fun. This is a fun place to live, Matt. It's just fun. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And the saddest part of all of this is the fun has been sucked out. The life has been sucked out of Saigon. This is a 24-hour-a-day live city like New York, man. It never ends. There's people on their bikes literally 24 hours a day going places and doing things. Oh, yeah. You get pho 24 hours a day here. Yeah. So to yank that rug out from under everybody is so devastating. This is why I now see it's taking an emotional toll on people, but completely understandable. Oh, yeah. People are frustrated. It's too much for us. Yeah. It's sad. I mean, yeah. I mean, the city, it, the, again, the city will get back there eventually, but... It's going to be a while, I think. Well, nobody knows how long at this point, but yeah, it's going to take some time. For sure. Mike, I really appreciate your your candid time with me and uh, keep me posted. I'll keep checking out the Vietnam Weekly and, and all the best to you, man. You too. Thanks very much. Well, that's the show. I hope you enjoyed it. I want to thank Michael Tatarski for coming on. Thanks, Mike. Much appreciated. He's the creator of Vietnam Weekly. At the beginning of the show, at the top of the show, he had mentioned that he was not, at the time, writing a lot about COVID because Vietnam was really not on the map at the time. But ever since then, which was about a month ago, he's been writing nonstop about COVID because, of course, Saigon went ballistic with cases and as well as the rest of the country. So check out Vietnam Weekly if you want to get an idea of the environment I'm in. It's free. You can also pay $5 a month like I do. I also pay $5 a month for my daughter Zoe to see what's going on. There's that. I want to also thank Dong for uh, sharing his COVID experience. Thankfully, he had a pretty simple and uh, non-threatening experience that he was able to get through in a week. And he's back at home doing his thing. So thanks, Dong. Much appreciated. Citizen 44 with Mark Ehrensberg is a listener-supported presentation. You can listen to all the shows on Stitcher, iTunes, and CastBox. Stitcher's free online. Just go to stitcher.com, type in Citizen 44. Thanks for listening to the show, of course. As always, I appreciate that. Coming up on show number 9999. I've been waiting so long. Oh 99. Where did we go wrong? Oh 99. I love you. 99 coming up. Take care. Bye-bye. Well, I just got the text. I'm going to receive my second dose of AstraZeneca tomorrow at 8 a.m. Now, the first time I got really super sick for, you know, a day. And I'm hoping that my body recognizes the invaders that come in tomorrow. And uh, it's not nearly as bad. Anyway, so there you go. I'm going to finish this show tonight. And then tomorrow, que sera, sera, man. Whatever will be, will be.
Additional music for today's show provided by Gene Burnett, geneburnett.com. Thanks, Gene. Thank you, Sam, Zoe, and Val. If whatever you're doing is not working, there's one way you can change that, and that's to change what you do, 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 change what you do. Yes. I am Citizen 44. If you want to find out more about Dong, go to balancestudio.tv and check out the Pure Now video podcast where I am the host. Dong is show number four, which is just being released this week. Balance Studio tv and click on pure now this show is sponsored by small portions cafe 